0: Dude, this time right between the eyes.
1: We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear trifle excited. What we've got here is failure to communicate
0: i want all of you to get up out of your chairs whatever appears emerges as raw experience for those who watch it you unlock this door with the key of imagination beyond it is another dimension a dimension of sound a dimension of sight welcome back to the sword cinema podcast this week we're going to be just discussing 1962's the man who shot liberty balance directed by john ford and written by james warner bella and willis goldbeck here's a clip Fury of the frontier, the old West lives again as only John Ford can recreate it. Peopled with wonderful characters who have become legend in their own time. Of them all, two are the most memorable. Liberty Valence and the man who shot him. That's my stake, Valence. you heard him dude? Pick it up. I said you, Liberty. You pick it up. And the man who shot him was justifiably destined to become a hero. Yet strangely enough, only one of these people could be sure he knew the identity of the man who shot Liberty Valance. Now you stay out of this, Donovan. He's been hiding behind your gun long enough. you got a choice, dishwasher. Either you get out of town, or tonight you'll be out in that street alone.
1: gun in his hand didn't you i didn't say that that ain't murder mr marshall that's a clean cut case of self-defense
0: now get out of my way all right that was a clip from the man who shot liberty balance directed by john ford uh i am your host patrick murphy and joining me is ricky d
1: hello patrick
0: so we got a john ford western on the uh, on the docket today i i I guess uh, <laughs> this was my choice, um, and after that, we did *The Quick and the Dead*, which is a lot, basically a shoot 'em up western. Uh, I decided to go for a different sort of western. I thought that it would be kind of kind of fun. To, uh, there's a, there is a loose connection between the two movies. Uh, that is, actor Strode, who plays Pompey in *The Man Who Shot Liberty Bounds. he was also also appeared in *The Quick and the Dead*. But more more than that, I basically picked this because I, I'm a big John fan, big western fan. But this is a different kind of Western. This is a, not a shooty Western. In fact, there really is only one gunfight in this, and it's a pretty slow gunfight at that. Uh, and outside of that, there's a little bit of shooting target practice, but this is a very talky, you know, there's, there's philosophy at play here. There's, there's scenes that take place in a classroom and at a political caucus. Very different kind of Western than The quick and the Dead. I thought it would be a nice contrast.
1: Okay, so full disclosure, I do not like this movie at all. So in order to (laughs) make this uh, podcast run smoothly, because here on the podcast, we don't really focus too much on a negative, although I guess we'll get to some negatives after the break when we ask our five questions. So I figure if you're okay with this, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, and I'm going to hope that with your response, you can help me change my mind and see this movie from a different point of view and actually maybe like it. Um, okay. I don't want to get into the character or the script right away because that can get a little bit more complex, but I'm going to start with the actual look of the film because I do like John Ford. Uh, Grapes of Wrath is one of my favorite movies of all time. He's made like wh- like well over like, 60, 70 films, so clearly I haven't seen them all, but I've seen the big ones. This is my second time watching this movie. I remember not liking it when I first watched it. I thought watching it again would change my mind, and I realize one of the things that um, I love about John Ford is his visuals. His movies usually look good. He makes good use of the widescreen and panoramic views. You know, like, usually his, his his movies look good. Like, he shoots out in the open west, out in open fields, and the cinematography is gorgeous. And this whole entire film, I believe, was shot on a studio set. So even the outdoor shots look like they're shot on sets. So just from the visual point of view of the film, like, in terms of the cinematography, the set design, the production values as a whole... I'm wondering how you feel about that when compared to, say, Stagecoach or The Searchers or any John Ford movie.
0: Yeah, he definitely... This isn't one of his classic Monument Valley movies. Uh, I had I noted that, too. This is a very flat-looking movie for the most part, and he's not trying to do a whole lot visually. There are a couple of moments where he does play around with light. Uh, this is a black-and-white movie, so he gets to play around with shadow uh, a, a few times, and one of those is, is when... Um, John Wayne walking away in the shadows and uh, the woman played by Vera Miles is in the doorway and that's a nice little shot or there are a couple times where John Wayne lights his cigarette and he's in the shadows and his face lights up and then it goes black again and you can see the rest of the town is, is light but he is dark um, there's also a nice little shot where the, the newspaper man is uh, well there's two this is kind of a two shots he, he blows out his light as he's sort of drunk and, and going to the bar next door to get more alcohol and then when he comes back he lights up his light and there are there Lee Barvin's gang is in there, Liberty Valence's gang is in there and they're gonna they're gonna rough him up and almost kill him. Um, so those are kind of the only visual flourishes that I really remember in the it, the whole movie. It's definitely one of his flatter to me this one, and again, because I think it contrasts well with the Quick and the Dead, because that's all visual flourish, and I love that. This one is more of an ideas movie. And so that's kind of where uh, my the appeal lies for me.
1: So just to be fair to John Ford, they gave him a really tight budget. And I'm not entirely sure if he chose to shoot in black and white because of the tight budget or if it's because of the actors who he chose, which we can get to a little later on, because they're just way too old for the part. And shooting in black and white, for whatever reason, highs the fact that they are older than they should be. But I was told, or I should say I read and... I've seen a few interviews in which they said that the reason why he shot in black and white was because they had a limited budget. Um, the sets aren't bad. I mean, you know, like given the fact that it's all shot in a Hollywood studio a lot, like it, they did a pretty good job. But it just seems flat and kind of like boring compared to the John Ford Westerns that I typically like. Now, the script, and I should have known this by watching a movie because I think it was based on a short story. It's based on a stage play. Which is Mm -hmm. why it's very talky. This is a very talky movie. Like You you mentioned it's a western. There isn't many gunfights. There's technically one uh, shootout. And a good chunk of the movie is basically talking about politics and about this one man. And um, yeah, it's just a very talky movie. The flashback structure actually reminds me a lot of Citizen Kane. But in terms of the screenplay, here's my next question for you. So I feel like this movie is like 30 minutes too long. I'm wondering if it was necessary to even include the quote-unquote present-day scenes. Like, why not just film the whole thing when the actual story takes place? Why have Jimmy Stewart's character walk into town and then proceed to tell the story, cut to flashback. The rest of the movie is told in flashback form except for the final, like, five minutes. I think that if you remove that structure, it could thematically maybe change the movie. But I'm wondering what you think about the running time and the actual structure of the script.
0: Well, I do think it's a little too long. There's only one scene that I would personally cut almost completely out, but we'll get to that later, I think. Um, okay, so I think that the reason that the, the present day time works, and even in present day, I'm not really exactly clear what time it is, but uh, they do have cars, I think, at that point. But they're still using stages as well, and they're still using, um, you know, horse and carriage. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason that I worked, and I think that the, the main thing about this movie, it doesn't argue politics so much as it argues philosophy, and it is using a major trope of Westerns, which is the clash between the wilderness, the Wild West, and civilization, and so if one character that represents civilization in Jimmy Stewart and one character that represents lawlessness and kind of the the law of the jungle in John Wayne. And Liberty Balance is sort of the John Wayne's argument for the law of the, the jungle. Um, his existence is why the West is a jungle. And Jimmy Stewart is trying to tame it. He's trying to bring law and order and civilization. That's a very classic Western thing. You can find that all over the place, uh, you know, in, in like Dances with Wolves and, and, you know, Westerns from the beginning to, to now even. So this clash of civilization, like in many ways, Mad Max, I almost see as a Western because it's about a guy who's out living on the fringes and, you know, it's the wild versus society. Right. So I was going to explain why the present day ones work. It's because uh, Jimmy Stewart's philosophy won out. Okay, so they want to show you that this has become a society. It is not the wild town that it once used to be. Uh, You know, the trains came and everything is much more calm and organized and they have schools and he wants to show you That that's what won out. And then they're going to flash back to a wilder time and show you how, I like how Deadwood shows you how civilization comes together. I I feel like this movie might have been an inspiration for for stuff like Deadwood. But uh, yeah, it shows you how civilization came to this town.
1: For sure. I think thematically, I do like what the movie is addressing. And I'm not, I don't really have an issue with the script. I do think the movie is too long, but it does make sense it's based on a stage play. But I see it has the Old West versus the New West, and it's somewhere in between the Old West and the New West. And you're right, it, it debates uh, – there is like this theme about law and order versus violence and vigilante justice. And the two main actors here, John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart, those two characters are completely opposite in terms of like how they think, how they act – Um, you know, everything about them, they're completely polar opposite. I'm just going to quickly mention Woody Strode, okay, because I think he's like my favorite character in, well, the character he plays is my favorite character in the movie, and I think his performance is by far my favorite, and he's like a minor character, so Woody Strode, the African-American actor who, you know, has been in tons of movies, I think he's fantastic in this, but there is... um, A specific shot where a specific scene where he recites the opening of the Declaration of Independence and you see a portrait of Abraham Lincoln in the background. So, I mean, it is sort of like political, right? Like Jimmy Stewart walks into town. He's a lawyer and he's trying to like teach the townspeople about law and order while Liberty Valance is just running around like. Doing whatever he wants and terrorizing people and even to the point where he's murdering uh folk and stealing and robbing and there's just there's just like no law whatsoever so like the thing is, is I'm not American <laughs> and so I, <laughs> it, it's possible it's quite possible that some of the politics went right over my head I'm not entirely sure but there there is a twist right and now so the, here's the thing about the twist now maybe it's because I'm watching a movie in 2020. And so for me, I see the twist coming from a mile away. Maybe when this movie was made in like the sixties, the twist was like a big deal. Maybe people just didn't even like anticipate that twist. The twist goes that in the end, Jimmy Stewart didn't actually kill Liberty Valance. He thinks he did, but he did not And it was actually John Wayne's character who shoots him dead. But because he and everyone else thinks that Jimmy Stewart shot the man, Therefore, his whole entire life changes where he gets the girl, he becomes governor, he enters into this world of politics, and the entire town changes because of it. There is law and order.
0: Uh, so, the, obviously, I think that also exists for a couple of reasons. One, it, uh, it basically goes against – Jimmy Stewart has to come to realize that uh, law and order can exist but not without force. And that's true in modern society. It's why – we have police forces because the only way to enforce law and order is through violence or the threat of violence. Um, that is pretty much it. That's why people have militaries. That's why we have police forces. And that, you know, most people will just absolutely follow, you know, the law, the laws of the land, but some people won't, there are Liberty balances in this world. And, uh, you will always have to have force. And that was, I always felt was the counterpoint to that. Like at some point, Jimmy Stewart was going to have to stand up, but he was never able to do it. He's he's, that's not what his role is in society. You need your John Waynes occasionally. But the other thing of that is that the John Waynes can't be first and foremost, they can't be put out in the open They're They're kind of like, they do the dirty work. It's true. There is a little bit of dirty work that comes into bringing a civilization together. But they shouldn't be uh, hoisted up and seen symbolic. Uh, you have to have law and order be the, the front, you know, and reason, right, and talking be what's come, what's what's being represented out front on, on the face of things. Uh, the John Waynes should be in the shadows and only come out when necessary, which is kind of the way the movie is playing. And what, what allows Jimmy Stewart, I, what I find fascinating about this is Jimmy Stewart, of course, uh, thinks he shot Liberty Balanced. And he goes to a political caucus where they nominate him to be the representative to Washington because they're trying to be, make their territory into a state. And um, he refuses the nomination because he thinks he's a man now and, it, and he's called out for it. That his only claim to fame is killing a man. And that is not what you want. That doesn't bring law and order to society. If you're you know, famous, you're only claim to fame and your only qualification for being a representative is that you killed. Somebody. Uh, even if it was a famous outlaw. And Liberty Balance was definitely a horrible, horrible person. And we'll talk about Lee Marvin's performance, I'm sure, uh, when we get to it, because I think he is quite possibly the, uh, you know, the he get, delivers it an absolutely crushing performance, like he crushes it. The twist, of course, is that John Wayne shot him, and John Wayne is the one who tells Jimmy Stewart this, but he tells him it to relieve the guilt. It's because then Jimmy Stewart knows that he is law and order, and okay, if this thing sort of propelled him to some sort of fame that isn't who he is and he does he does still believe in right and reason he hasn't killed anybody and thus he can go on with this kind of lie but and but he can use it to to further his own deals which he kind of does and i do think there's a bittersweet ending to all of this by the way uh, i don't think that it's championing like jimmy stewart is this hero there's a moment at the very end when he asks his wife uh hallie who's played by vera miles and she had been kind of john wayne's uh, the object of john wayne's affection he was sort of wooing, trying to woo her as well um he asks her who put the the cactus rose on top of the casket and she sort of defiantly says i did and there's a moment of awkward silence between them like she's acknowledging that jimmy stewart would have had nothing not her not his political career nothing without john wayne's character and i think that's a that's a philosophical moment right there that both sides are going to have to exist. And and he has to be able to acknowledge that at least. And he did tell the story to the new newspaper men, So at least there's, but they, they refuse to print it. So, <laughs> it is interesting saying that the, the, it's all built on a lie there. It's built on American history is built on a lot of lies. This I'm sure the histories of many nations, but For sure. uh, yeah,
1: I think the best line in the movie is the line which says when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And I think that says yes. a lot about the movie and about the themes and about the characters and about these two men uh, played by Jimmy Stewart and and John Wayne. So, look, I don't think this is a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't quite enjoy it. And I do want to get to the cast. And we're going to start with we're – let's start with Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne. So, like, <laughs> now, so this is the thing. I actually thought this movie was filmed in, like, the 50s, maybe late 40s. It's filmed no. in the 60s.
0: Yeah, sixty
1: two. Here's my problem with the structure of the film, because you get them in quote unquote present day, and then you get the flashback sequence, which takes place like God knows how many years earlier, maybe like a decade or two earlier. They look the same age. John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart look like way too well, bold for a should... part.
0: We should say that John Wayne is not in the present day. The present day is Jimmy Stewart sure. coming back to the town for John Wayne's funeral.
1: But Jimmy Stewart's there. <laughs> Either way, John he, Wayne looks is there, yeah. John Wayne looks too old. And so it's just like <laughs> it's so like I get the star power and the appeal of John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. I just don't understand why they were cast in this movie. I uh, I love Jimmy Stewart. Like I think he's a great actor. I think he's just charismatic. I really did not like his performance in this movie. Maybe that speaks a lot to me just not liking his character. I also, like, I'm not the biggest John Wayne fan. I think I understand why John Wayne is popular. And he's been in a shit ton of movies that people love. I don't think he's necessarily the best actor. I think in the right roles, he's cast perfectly and he works. I think sometimes he doesn't work. Uh, I'll give you a, a prime example. So you know how John Wayne is uh, is well known for using the word pilgrim, right? And in this movie, he calls Jimmy Stewart's character <laughs> pilgrim. Like 30 times. times. 30 times.
0: <laughs> I think that's where this came. that whole pilgrim thing came from. I think it came from yeah. this
1: movie. It did. It did. It was from this movie. Okay, so let's start with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. What do you think of their okay. performance?
0: Uh, I, I'm, I, I would say that Jimmy Stewart probably is the uh, least... Uh, I, I don't want to say it's bad, because he's Jimmy Stewart, and he's, he's playing Jimmy But he, he, there are a couple times when he explodes and he does it a little bit too much. I think Jimmy Stewart was struggling to find his character, to tell you the truth. It was kind of like he was going for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington sometimes. And But he was way too old to play the part. You're right. And I think Jimmy Stewart was way too old to pl- play that part. No question about it. He looks way too old. And now John Wayne is too old, especially to be wooing Vera Miles. Both of them are too old to be wooing Vera Miles, by the way, who only earlier in The Searchers was, was the girlfriend of John Wayne's nephew. So I mean, she was already like, I mean, it was acknowledged that she was way younger. But I think Wayne to me has this great presence in this movie talk about somebody who just is so natural in the environment and feel and look so relaxed and casual i believe that the only man that liberty balance is afraid of was tom donovan who is john wayne's character because wayne has wayne kind of struts through he he's at home in every single environment that he's in i love the shots of him in the bar when the when they're going to be taking their vote and he's pushing people away uh, he's so big there, and you can tell he's just, he is a, he's a man, <laughs> a man's man. He belongs in a Western. And I love the shot when he's at the caucus, and he, he just kind of, like, saunters up the stairs and lies down on them. And to me, like, his physical presence in this movie, he seems so at home everywhere and seems so casual. And even on his home, I think he, he handles the cockiness, but then he handles the scene when, when he realizes that he's not going to get Hallie, and he gets drunk, and he gets pissed. And he starts snapping at people and goes home and burns his house down. I think that's, like, fantastic acting. Uh, I think he handles the emotional scenes far better than Jimmy Stewart does in this movie. I think Stewart had a problem with his finding his character. I I just don't think that he quite got there. Uh, But, yeah, I I would say they both... Wayne does look too old, but there's a couple times when he, I can buy it more with him than I could with with Stewart. Stewart does not look like he belongs in the West at all. He's not a young man going west. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I don't really have a problem with John Wayne in the role. I think he's perfect. Well, not perfectly cast, but well cast. I think Jimmy Stewart is miscast. And I will tell you who I do like. I mean, we're gonna go through the entire cast here, but Edmund O'Brien. He plays one of the most memorable characters. He plays the um, the newspaper editor. And I really like this character actor. There's a lot of character actors, by the way, in this movie. And I thought his performance was really good. Who I did not like, though. Um, and can you guess? The sheriff? Andy Marsh. Devine. Great character actor. He's been in a lot of movies. Unfortunately, in this movie, I just did not buy into his humor. I did not buy into the fact that he's the sheriff. I thought his character was... I mean, it was he was annoying to listen to, and I I felt like um, he was distracting as well.
0: You know, I think he uh, was there. They had him to show, sort of show, like, okay, he was elected marshal because they wanted no law, and it's kind of like how in Deadwood, you know, they wanted to be left to themselves, and they wanted a marshal who would do nothing. And you see that in several westerns where the marshals of some of these towns aren't the Wyatt Earps of the world; they're these guys that are just pick, right? I mean, you see it in, you know, even movies like. Sub- comedies like support your local sheriff and all that kind of stuff. They they just have losers there. And they're not really looking for somebody to actually implement law and order. They just want to fill the position and have sort of a figurehead who won't cause too much trouble and do too much damage to the freedoms of the town. And you see like I say, you see that with a lot of these frontier western towns uh in movies. Uh so I think he was there for that. He was supposed to be uh you know ineffective and he was supposed to be impotent which he generally was. I'll agree with you that his performance was a little broad. That can happen in John Ford movies. (laughs) He does have a fondness for broad performances, occasion and hokiness. And he definitely falls under that sort of hokiness category.
1: Which is really strange because everyone knows, you know, legend has it that John Ford was really hard on John Wayne and treated him like crap on every movie set, including this movie set. And he adored Jimmy Stewart and, he, he I think his big issue with uh, John Wayne if I'm not mistaken was that he didn't go to war and so he just never respected John Wayne but yet he would cast him in his movies or I don't know maybe he was the producer but it, it's just it's 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 kind of strange to think that John Wayne pulls off a better performance than Jimmy Stewart but yet in the eyes of John Ford he just wasn't good enough who was good enough and probably one of my favorites in all of Westerns is Lee Marvin. Now, oh. so he's amazing in the role of the bad guy. Like he's this dominating force. He's menacing. He's actually scary. You can buy into understanding why the, all the people in the town fear the man. I would have liked a little bit more, I don't know, je quoi, like a little bit more of uh you know, like how in a lot of Westerns, like no matter how bad the villain is, there's always some sort of like redeeming quality. You kind of like, why they are the way they are we don't really mm-hmm. get any sort of hint, or maybe i just missed it but regardless i think lee marvin's fantastic in this role
0: i i think he's absolutely magnetic and i never, he's on screen even john wayne has a hard time uh competing with him. they are fairly even though uh, just because of the power of performance I tend to watch Lee Marvin, though, more than I do Wayne when they're both on screen at the same time. I mean, it's it's close because there's that scene with the steak. And they're standing eye to eye and <laughs> you're like you're waiting for something to happen. The tension is definitely there. They, they they're facing off against each other is really, really good. But yeah, Lee Marvin brings an aura of absolute menace to this movie that it needed. I think it needed that to kind of uh, show John Wayne's point of view, because otherwise it just sounds like a lot of bluster. When he's saying, like, out here, you need a gun. You know, if you don't carry one of these, you're nobody. Like, you needed to show Lee Marvin to, to make that point of view actually relevant and to show the uphill battle that, that law and order was going to have to go through. You know, in, like the, Jimmy Stewart's. Was never going to have an easy time bringing this guy into jail, and nobody wanted to arrest him. Nobody could arrest him, frankly. I'm not really sure you could arrest a force like Lee Marvin, like Liberty Valance. You know, I think he was—he was always going to come in. He would be dead. You'd have to bring him in dead. That's the only way you're going to get him into a—you know—into town against his will. Um, and he, yeah, he, every single scene he's in, there's, he's got like uh, rage that just—he's flipping over tables and chairs, and it doesn't seem like overacting. It it seems like this guy that's just absolutely balled up with hatred. Now he d- does have some insecurities, and I do like that they show that when he goes up against John Wayne in in their few conversations. Uh, he definitely doesn't want to take Wayne on by himself, and he knows to be a little scared and and Pompey. He doesn't want his his band of three, which consists of you know Lee Van Cleef, who <laughs> I mean, was definitely not a star at that point point in time. Um, Oh, and I can't remember what the other actor is, but he had been in uh, the Andy Griffith show and other other sort of I I mean, he got around as well. The other part of the other gang member. But, uh, yeah, they were they were (laughs) kind of psychotic in many ways. But the three of them did not want to go up against Wayne and and Pompey and Wayne and Woody Strode. So I kind of like that he did his insecurity show through and he would get really, really mad knowing that he kind of chickened out a couple of times. That's my stake, Valance. You heard him, dude. (laughs) Pick it up. Pilgrim, hold it. I said you, Valance. You pick it up. Three against one, Donovan. My boy, Pompey. The kitchen door. I'll get it, Liberty. (laughs) I said you, Liberty. You pick it up. What's the matter? Everybody in this country kill crazy? Here! There!
1: There! Now! It's picked up! So would you agree that this movie plays out like a, th- a three-way romance in-, in the sense that... I mean, okay, so like in the movie, John Wayne clearly likes... Um, Hallie, Vera Vera Miles, Miles. the character of Vera Miles plays. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Stewart likes her, but he's not willing to admit it or is not acknowledging it. But I kind of felt like there is this like three way romance between them, even though technically it's not a romance. But there's chemistry between those three characters, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I think that Vera Miles is actually fantastic in this film. Like she doesn't play a huge part, but she plays an important role regardless. Yeah,
0: she's always there. And I wouldn't say that the men's actions revolve around her, but I think she also has sort of – there's some competing feelings in her. And and a lot of time it can look like she's blowing John Wayne off. Like she's not really that interested, so he's trying to woo her, but she doesn't seem like she's super interested. Like maybe they're just friends kind of thing in her mind. But there is a scene when John Wayne is going to go on the cattle drive and he tells her that he's leaving – there is that scene where she, you know, he walks away in the darkness and she's framed in the door. She runs to the door and looks after him. There is sort of a yearning there. Like, like I couldn't tell if it was because she does really have feelings for him or she knows that the only man that can keep this town safe is walking away right now uh, to go on his cattle drive. And if, she, if it was fear.
1: I looked at it as usually when someone shows you a lot of like attention, like when they when it's obvious and evident that they do like you, there's less of an attraction. Like people aren't necessarily attracted to people that are throwing themselves all over you, right? When mm-hmm. you play hard to get, usually it sparks more of uh, of like curiosity and intrigue. And with Jimmy Stewart's character, it's not that he's playing hard to get, but he doesn't even realize that there's a, a, a possibility of them forming a relationship. Whereas John Wayne is trying so hard to get into a relationship with her so it kind of like makes sense and you know we do get the scene in which um i I gotta stop saying jimmy stewart because like his name is ransom but we ransom realizes that hallie can't read and so she breaks down in the kitchen and so he you know he decides that he's gonna like teach her how to read but like you see her insecurity, and like she's clearly embarrassed and that goes a long way into forming an attraction between the two of them but i think with john wayne it's just his character is kind of like a little too desperate or trying a little too hard which is odd because like you would think that john wayne's character who by the way is tom um you would think that all the ladies would be chasing him in the town because he's, he's like the tough guy he's the cool guy he's the guy who's like you know who, he's the only guy who can actually stand up to to Liberty Valence, but that's not necessarily what's happening here, which I thought was kind of interesting, like, in terms of, like, how it views masculinity in the quote-unquote Old West. Overall, like, there's a lot of character actors, like I said, some of them work, some of them don't necessarily work. Um, it's not necessarily my biggest problem with the movie. Like, Jimmy Stewart's performance is uh, a deal-breaker for me, unfortunately. Okay. It's a it is a different sort of western, and John. I mean, I'm not sure how much John Ford you've
0: seen, but he is an acquired. There are some movies of his that that generally play better. Like, I'm not sure if you're a fan of searchers, but there are people who who don't like that movie because of some of the hokey scenes that he throws in, uh, the the goofball comedy stuff that he throws in. Which you're, I mean, it's weird for John Ford because this is a grizzled war veteran, right? Like, this is the guy who ran up the hill, you know, while bombs are dropping everywhere because he wanted to get a better shot during. World War. He was out. He was out in the Pacific Theater, um, and that's why he respected Jimmy Stewart. I'm sure. I think he always liked John Wayne. By the way, I, I just think that he gave him a really he liked giving him a hard time even more because uh, he kept casting him over and over and over again. But uh, I, I do want to go back to, to one little thing. And I this is okay. So when we're talking about, I get what you're saying. There are some. It's it's a very talking movie, and if you're not if you, you aren't buying into the philosoph- philosophical argument, then it can be kind of hard to watch because there's not a lot of visual stimulus uh, stimulation here but for me it's all the ideas and there are little subtle touches and one of like one of the things you're talking about jimmy stewart wanting to teach um, or <laughs> ransom wanting to teach hallie to read and that's his gift sir right it's the gift of civilization whereas in that very same scene tom had brought hallie a gift as well and it was a cactus rose and that's the wild so the, the way these characters interact with her and the struggle with her, I love that, that she is caught in the middle. You have civilization on one side, wild man on the other side, and she has to sort of choose which one she wants. And I think even at the end, she isn't quite sure that, uh, you know, which one, because that look on her face when she says that she put the cactus rose on the, on the thing tells you that she still has something,
1: something for Tom and
0: something slightly against Ransom.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe I just don't like Jimmy Stewart's character because he's trying to he's trying to he's trying to change the town. He's trying to bring law and order. He's trying to he's trying to do the right thing, but he's also not willing to get his hands dirty. And I find he's sort of like a coward. And I guess, like, one of the things I don't like about this movie, maybe this is my own philosophy, right, like, is that I don't like the fact that John Wayne loses it in the end, like, he loses the girl, he loses just about everything, and to me, he's kind of like the real hero, because as we learn at the end of the movie, which, you know, wasn't a really, I I guess, I guess, again, back in the 60s, it probably was a big twist, but the fact is that he is the one who shot Liberty Balance, not, not uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, and so, like, really, Jimmy Stewart didn't do anything, really, I mean, like, they, like you said, like, I think you said this earlier, right? Like he owes everything to John Wayne's character, Tom Donovan. Donovan.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I did Jimmy Stewart for the record. I, he did face up to Liberty balance. He would have been killed if John Wayne hadn't shot Liberty balance, but Jimmy Stewart did go out on the street and did stand up to him. Uh, and, you know, if Liberty balance had, uh, not played around with him a little bit and shot up his hand and whatever, I think that would have absolutely, you know, it would have ended differently. (laughs) But here's the thing that I wanna I want to suggest to you. So it does end bitterly for John Wayne's character. And I think the movie's making a philosophical statement on that because he is the violence, right? He's force. And I think saying that force needs to take a back seat. It has to exist in the shadows and law and order has to be propped up. And this is a very similar argument that Christopher Nolan made in the dark Knight*, where Harvey Dent really does nothing. Batman's doing everything and solving the problems, but Batman has to take the blame. I can't believe I'm discussing Batman and, and John Wayne at the same time, but uh, I think it's apt And the dark Knight* is a movie that, that kind of goes through this as well. Like how much uh, civilization, how much law and order means and how much vigilante justice and force means. Uh, so yeah, at the end, Batman, Bruce Wayne has to, or Batman at least has to take the, he has, to, he has to kind of lose out. He has to become the villain in the end, or or at least take on the burdens of everybody else and prop up uh, the in order to save face, the, save the face of Harvey Dent. Now, those movies take slightly different tacks, but that it, it basically was all about that. I mean, Bruce Wayne was trying to get Harvey Dent to be the face of justice, right? Even though batman had done most of the dirty work in the town of gotham and had actually you know rounded up all these villains he wanted harvey dent to get the credit for it he wanted law and order to be front and front and center and not the violence that he had to cause because that's not the way society progresses forward right so john wayne's character had to slink back into the shadows it's kind of in the same way that his character in john ford's The searchers can't enter the house at the end because he is uncivilized and he, therefore, is left standing at the door while everybody else is celebrating the return of the daughter. He stands at the door, and the door closes on him. That's, he's not welcome in society. He doesn't belong there. And he doesn't in this movie either, I think. So the world is changing, and that's why he lives on the outskirts. He lives, And that's a big thing. He lives away from town. He lives way out in the desert. And uh, he's not a part of society, and he can't really be a part of society. But he can help it move forward
1: i think that is my problem with the film right and it's it's great you bring up the example uh the comparison to the searchers and even batman because like in batman in the dark Knight, batman doesn't actually shoot or kill anyone right or i mean or harvey Mm. dent i should say harvey dent or harvey Dent doesn't actually go out on the streets and like kick everyone's ass it's still like batman is taking a credit for the vigilante justice whereas um harvey dent he's he's putting people in jail and, and keeping Gotham safe through law and order. But in this movie, that's kind of the opposite. Even when he compared to the searchers, like, yeah, he can't enter the house, but it's because everybody knows what he did and who he is. But in this movie, he's seen has the man who shot and murdered Liberty Valance. Now, the thing about the script and the movie, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's never mentioned that it's done out of self-defense, is it? Because it, they make it seem like he just straight up murdered him, and that's that's the issue I'm having with the movie. If his character, if it, like you're right, he does stand up for himself, and he would have died. He like it's for sure he wouldn't have won the shootout because the guy can't even shoot a, a tin can from like a foot away. But John Wayne's character saves the day. But at the end, at, at the same time, John Wayne gets no credit. He just walks away fine. So he's really a hero. But then his character is seen as a hero, despite the fact that they all think that he committed murder. Yeah, Ransom. That's what I don't get. That's what I don't understand.
0: (laughs) And that is definitely the argument, the, uh, the orator at the end that the old Colonel or major or whatever he was, (laughs) who was, who's speaking out for the cattlemen who want to keep the the place of territory and not become a state so that they can have free reign over it. Uh, He makes that very point that he is a murderer, but, and Jimmy Stewart acknowledges that, and thus that's why he was going to refuse the nomination uh, because he believed that as a murderer he couldn't—well, not a murderer, but as a killer, you know—that he he would have failed in his mission. And John Wayne, you know, alleviates that by saying he didn't—he uh, didn't kill, you know, Liberty Bounds. Tom Donovan did, and and, he, and and Tom Donovan says, you know, I I can live with that. It was cold-blooded murder. I can live with it. So you don't have to you know, you're, you're free to go about and do this. And even if your fame kind of, even if this is what brought you fame, you didn't actually do it. You can still have your ideals and you can still make this place better. You're right that there's a, I I mean, you could say that there's a weakness of the philosophical argument that they do still make him a hero. And he goes on to have great success all built on the foundation of killing an outlaw.
1: That's not an argument. That's what happens.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. But but I'm, what I'm saying is that like his, uh, that could be speaking also to society's need for that type. Like John Wayne couldn't bring law and order somewhere because he wasn't, or as his character. Sorry, Tom Donovan couldn't bring law and order somewhere. His character wasn't law and order, but, but ransom could, even though he couldn't do the force himself, he could bring law and order somewhere. And if, if what it took, you know, people respected Tom Donovan around town. If this is what it took and, and keep in mind, they had asked him, to be one of their representatives as well. And he refuses Tom Donovan refuses because he is not part of society in that way. Uh, So it's the town respects him and they do consider him a hero. So this was the way for, for John Wayne to prop up the Jimmy Stewart character and make him respected as a hero. Thus he could go on to accomplish great things that Tom Donovan could never do.
1: It seems like a minor nitpick, but I don't think it really is a nitpick because I think it changes the whole outlook of the movie and his character and what happens moving forward. I think that if they had framed it as he shot and killed the man out of self-defense, it would Mm. change everything. But they praise him as the man who just straight up walked up to Liberty Valance and shot him dead. Therefore, that makes him a murderer, a straight-up killer, and it goes against his whole entire philosophy and the idea of law and order and what he's trying to teach the people. And I think that by having even one line or one scene which – clearly states that he did it out of self-defense, it would change the whole ending of the movie for me personally.
0: Yeah, I don't think that you're wrong at all. I, I think that it can be kind of confusing, and I'm sort of coming up with arguments. That's why one of the reasons why I love this movie, because I think there are shades of gray in here. That There are, there are things where I don't quite... You can you can see viewpoints of, of some of the people, you know, and what they're trying to say at sometimes. And you can kind of see where their own argument goes against them at other times. And I almost think that that they're wrestling with it the entire Because, of course, John Ford, you know, when he started out his career, it was all cowboys are heroes. Violence is, is the way, and you know, load him up and stagecoach, you know, John Wayne. You you see his character in that for the first time, Ringo. Uh, and he's cocking a gun like that's the very first time you see. Like this guy represents the West uh, taming it right with with force, but I think as Jeff Ford went on, he st- did start to struggle with some of these things and and he started to address some of the concerns that people had with him and his characters and he didn't always do it um eloquently, but I find it fascinating like the, the the struggle that he sort of has, and he goes back and forth, and you're you're right, it is kind of weird that that the main character is propped up for something that he's supposedly not and he would have never gotten there on his own merits which is in, an interesting thing to to argue
1: yeah like i think it's uh it's a it's an interesting film to discuss and debate it's a well-made film like there's nothing necessarily wrong with it it's just my uh my least favorite film from john ford so far that i've seen but again the guy's made like 60 plus movies yeah
0: there's a lot of them. <laughs> all right well <laughs> with that though we should probably take a break And uh, when we come back, we'll go through our five questions. All right, here's another clip from The Man Who Shot Liberty Bounce. But, Tom, why did you do it? Why? Cold-blooded murder. But I can live with it. Tally's happy. She wanted you alive. But you saved my life. I wish I hadn't. Tally's your girl now. Go on back in there and take that nomination. You taught her how to read and write. Now give her something to read and write about. All right. That was another clip from the man who shot Liberty Valance. Uh, all right. So uh, we always do this thing at the end of the podcast where we ask a few questions. We ask the same questions over and over again um, because they're, they're good questions <laughs> and they kind of dig into what we like and sometimes do not like about the movie. So this should be some some interesting, interesting stuff here. Uh, all right. So, Rick, uh, the first question we always do, we, all, we do always like to start off positive. So um, what was your favorite scene from the movie?
1: I honestly think my favorite scene, and it's not the best scene. I think I know what you're going to say. So I'm just going to stick with the actual reveal of the twist. And it's because I love the way it's photographed. I love the lighting because it's a night scene, which is not easy to do with black and white photography in a studio a lot. I like the framing of the shot. I do like the fact that they do include this twist for a movie that was made in the 60s, which I'm guessing a lot of people didn't see coming. And it speaks volumes of the character that John Wayne plays. Who is by far my favorite character in the movie? It really makes him "quote unquote" the hero, even though technically he's a killer. So I'm gonna stick with the reveal.
0: Okay, I, I all right. So my favorite part of this movie is the sequence right after that, when Jimmy Stewart has gone inside and Hallie is kind of holding him and, and saying she wouldn't know what what she would have done if he'd have been killed, and and John Wayne the ca- the camera looks up and John Wayne is standing in the doorway and he heard the whole thing. And he knows now that she's in love with Jimmy Stewart, not him. And he goes on, a, she goes over to the bar and get, gets drunk and gets angry at people and smacks Lee Marvin around a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, or Lee Mar- Marvin, not Lee, Mar- Lee Van Cleef. Um, he smacks him over the head with his own, uh, the butt of his own pistol and uh, goes home and, and torches his house, and I find it to be a really, really tortured scene from Wayne, and a really good performance uh, from Wayne in this. And I think it—it's it, the sadness of the movie to me, because that's when Wayne realizes that he has no place in this this world anymore. That it's changing all around him, even though he had kind of helped it change and had encouraged that change, um, and still will encourage that change. By the way, which, which is is pretty noble uh, in the end but he uh, he knows that he's done and he has nothing left so he burns his own house down and he lets all his horses go and obviously you know he must have done something after that but you know they even say in the beginning of the movie that he never carried a gun anymore um and it wasn't because he got civilized it's because there was just no need for it and he was a man that was out of time uh he didn't have a place anymore and he's buried now in a pine box because he couldn't afford anything and he had he just had no place in the world and i, I find that to be you know uh, it's a it's a it's a great western trope that 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 you know gets uh, is put in a lot of movies and i think this one does it really well
1: I thought you were going to mention the steak scene. I think the steak scene is my second favorite scene in the film. And I think it's because it really shows that John Wayne's character is the only man who can really stand up to Lee Marvin. And I love the standoff. Like, I love how it shows Lee Marvin's insecurities, the fact that he is actually afraid of of John Wayne's character. And also it shows how Jimmy Stewart's character reacts and he's trying to prove himself to be more manly and that he can defend himself when he really can't. So I thought that's that scene when they put all because there's very few scenes in this movie where all three of those characters are in the same scene and that mm-hmm. is one if not the only scene.
0: Yeah, the only other one is uh during the um the the barroom vote for who's going to be the representative. All right, and yeah. so they, the three of them get to stand. They're not as, as good of a scene. Uh, no, the, the steak scene is a second favorite scene as well. I just think there's there's a ton of tension in that. It builds really, really well with Lee Marvin coming in and kicking out some, some sod busters, as he calls them, farmers. Um, and yeah, it kind of shows. I like liked how it was sort of the, a different kind of Western. You don't see diners in Westerns very often. <laughs> and I love that. Like, of course there were diners. You see it in, in movies like... Well, or not, but uh, I, I think you sort of see it in Deadwood, Deadwood a little bit, but not really. People getting their supper, right? Like you don't just go to the saloon; you go get your supper somewhere, and those those places did exist. And I think that that's it's kind of fun to see that because most. Westerns just take place exclusively in the saloon if you're in town or, you know, in the, in the classic places, uh, at doctors or a, or a general store. But uh, showing a diner is kind of interesting. And how all these farm hands, cow cowhands, you know, from all over come in and, and get their supper with the sheriff and the doctor and the newspaper man. And they're, they're all eating together. Uh, like I say, I, I can imagine David Milch watching this and getting some inspiration for Deadwood. Uh, just a little bit, a little tiny bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is my second favorite scene as well. Love that scene. Uh, all right, so now we can get on to the juicy, the juicy one. Now that we brought up the stake, uh, if you could change only one thing about this, Rick, just one, <laughs> what would it be?
1: I think if you change Jimmy Stewart's casting, provided you actually pick someone who's well suited for the role who would do a good job, it can make the movie like a million times better because he is technically like arguably the main protagonist of the film but i would also change andy the if not his performance then just him like replace him so it's i'm not entirely sure because like i know a lot of people love jimmy stewart and i know a lot of people like jimmy stewart in this movie so i'm not entirely sure if it's fair for me to say jimmy stewart because a lot of people gravitate towards his character for me personally he's like the biggest problem in the film so if i'm not gonna pick recasting jimmy stewart then i'm just gonna say like let's recast andy Divine, because i thought that performance was completely whack <laughs> like it just did not make any sense like he's supposed to be the town sheriff i understand he's afraid of liberty Valence, but i thought he just went a little overboard and too far with his character adding that comedy making himself himself such a coward like he just did not fit in the movie and i found him so incredibly distracting
0: That's interesting, because I I had a similar reaction when we were talking about His Girl Friday to one of the characters in that, who I thought did not fit the tone of the movie, and that was a comedy. Uh, I'm okay with Annie Devine in this one, because for some reason I, I accept it as part of John Ford's quirky sense of humor. His hokey, I shouldn't say quirky, he's got a hokey sense of humor. Um, and, and if we ever do the searchers, I'm sure that sense of humor will come up again because there are scenes that just are like nails on chalkboard for some people, but, uh, I've got, I've gotten used to those as well. Um, Jimmy Stewart, I could, you know, a young Jimmy Stewart would have been absolutely fantastic in this, uh, the Jimmy Stewart from Philadelphia story and from Mr. Smith goes to Washington, I think would have been ideal, uh, in this movie and he would have made a good match for fair miles actually old jimmy stewart just seems kind of creepy because he didn't even have to put on that much makeup when he's old in the end (laughs) at least fair miles they did a good makeup job with her like but they didn't have to do a lot with jimmy stewart uh that would but for me that wouldn't be what i would change jimmy stewart's performance while i don't think it's the greatest it doesn't bug me that much i don't think at the fact that he's old i I do think it takes you out of it just a little bit kind of like him and grace kelly in rear window i don't quite buy it maybe because he's this photographer guy uh but i would take out the classroom scene i would remove it entirely i think i think it is john ford it's john ford to excess right and frank capra had a problem with with this as well going way over the line with hokiness when it came to um america which Hey, I love America, but and I love American history, and I don't mind like showing that kind of pride, but it does not work or serve the movie whatsoever. Oh God! And no. like I say, Capra had a problem with it a lot of the time, and he would like turn these heroic, you know, make these heroic things that just were so out of place, and especially in a movie like this where everything's not cut and dry. All right. Like I said, there are shades of gray in this. You didn't need to have a lecture on the constitution and the declaration of the, of independence. All right. And we didn't need that at all because it doesn't really, it doesn't fit with, I know that they're going to be voting later. And I think it was included as kind of a foreshadowing to get used to the fact that they were going to be voting later. And it brings up the subject of voting so that you're prepared for when they do actually vote. I don't think they needed to prepare you. I think we all understand if we see them all voting, the, the introduction to the voting scene is fine. It works. It doesn't need any intro, but I think that's what the school scene was. And it went on too long, and it's got kids. And kids don't generally <laughs> belong in Westerns.
1: <laughs> I uh, I hate that scene. I hate it. I, I think yeah. the scene, it, it feels like he's trying to educate the viewers, the audience, in that scene. I found it, first of all, it makes the movie even longer. It's unnecessary. I think it's poorly written and you just didn't need it. Like you did not need it. So I totally agree.
0: Yeah. And the whole like reciting the ABCs, do we really need to sing the entire ABC song? Like what was the purpose of that? <laughs> yeah. It's one I always feel skipping over and I always forget how long it is. I'm like, Oh, this is going to go by pretty quick. Cause I, I've watched this movie a few times. In fact, I watched it just a year ago. So this is the, the second time I've seen it in a while. I, I do like this movie. Um, but yeah, <laughs> See, you know, I was like, I always forget how long it is. It just keeps going on. I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't you cut this? This does absolutely nothing. And it's not written well, it, it, even if it served no purpose, at least write it better than that. All right. <laughs> Back to the positive side of things. thing. Um, who, say, is the MVP of this
1: movie? John Wayne, hands down. I, I mean, we've already mentioned a bunch of things that we would change in a movie which all – Points to the director John Ford as great as he was as a filmmaker, he I think made a few missteps and mistakes, and while well, filming this movie. It's unfortunate that he wasn't given a bigger budget and he had to shoot everything on set, etc., etc. But I think John Wayne is the star of the movie. I, I really do like his character. It's not the greatest performance. He's not necessarily the greatest actor here, but he fits the role. And he's much needed, especially when he's acting across from Jimmy Stewart, who's miscast in the film. I love the way he matches up with Lee Marvin's villain. And so, if you take away John Wayne and you replace him with someone who's not has good and not has well known and you know an actor who everyone loves and adores, I don't know if this movie would be like because I know a lot of people love this movie and appraise it. I, I I think the movie would fall apart. I, I John Wayne has got to be the MVP. I don't know how you feel, but yeah, I I think you
0: cast anybody else and you can't buy the the mythic. Uh, Western cowboy that this character is supposed to be That Tom Donovan is supposed to be. He is supposed to be just this absolutely like legendary type character. Right. Um, And without casting a legendary actor, I mean, I think Ford had it wrong. I know the studio wanted Wayne and Ford did not but they had it wrong. Like they, he had to play this character. I'm not sure who else he could have cast and had this movie work. This movie would not have been around. So yeah, he would be my MVP as well. Although I'll give a shout out. I think the movie also really works because of Lee Marvin's uh, just force of nature. Uh, I think if you didn't have that, and I mean that in the sense of nature, like wild versus civilization again, it just plays into that. Uh, I think he had to be a force of nature and even though I'm sure there are other actors who could have played the part, Lee Marvin did a fan, absolutely fantastic job. So, as a secondary option to Wayne, who would be my first choice, uh, I'll also say that Lee Marvin um, nearly steals the show here, uh, and and definitely gives provides the the weight, the other weight, the balance that the Jimmy Stewart can't really when it uh, when it comes to Wayne. Uh, all right, so. Now to that end, we've, I, I think, you know, we we'll, we can definitely like most Westerns, especially, you know, John Ford Westerns are, it, it's always hard to argue that they stand the test of time, but we're going to, but I'm going to ask you that right now. Anyway, do you think that this movie stands the test of time?
1: No, I don't think it stood a test of time when it was released. Like, like, again, the movie feels (laughs) like it was made in the 40s and it was made in the 60s. And I know that when the movie was released, it was considered a lesser work of John Ford by most critics. And I know people still praise it and see it as one of John Ford's best movies. But I do think it's dated for all of the reasons we've mentioned throughout this hour. It's it's a tricky question because does it sound a test of time? Like anybody can watch this movie for the first time in 2020, say for example, you're a film student, and there's a lot that you can learn and take in, and you can appreciate the performance by say John Wayne or the cinematography or the editing, whatever it is, right? There's always something you can appreciate, but I do think it's somewhat dated. Maybe not thematically, maybe not what it's addressing, but in terms of like the structure and the way it's all packaged.
0: Yeah, it's not – I mean, again, John Ford's movies, I feel like all of them are dated. I I feel like it's pretty – almost all of them. It's rare that you can watch, even if you watch Stagecoach, even though there's some messed up stuff in Stagecoach. But uh, that movie was at the end of the 30s. I believe that was 39 or thereabouts. Uh, Yeah, his movies tend to have this sense of humor and tone that just grind against modern sensibilities. And so I'm loathe to say that it stands the test of time. I'm not sure that any of his movies stand the test of time, even though I think some of them are brilliant, like The Searchers. I I absolutely love that movie. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm not – it's hard for me to say that it does. I can't say it does. I think that people are not going to want to watch this movie to get this message across, even though I think it does it more – I think it's – has more impact than many other westerns who try to get a similar message across. I, I like the fact that he went with ideas in this versus you know, the visceral elements of westerns a little bit more uh, he, he tried to stretch himself a bit um, and I think for me it works really well Like I find this movie fascinating to talk about but yeah I, I, I think that it's <laughs> filmmaking sensibilities are definitely out of date
1: if I had to recommend someone who's never seen a John Ford movie, I would recommend any one of his Monument Valley epics over this movie, first and foremost. Like, you don't want the first impression of John Ford to be this movie for someone who's never seen his movies. I would no. go with The Searchers, The Grapes of Wrath, Stagecoach, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I also don't think this movie typifies John Ford's repertoire. I, I It's not a good representative of his filmography, um, this, the My Money movies are are much better representative of what he likes to do or what he used to do traditionally. This was a movie where he was, you know, struggling with coming in. In many ways, he is Tom Donovan as as a filmmaker, and he was it in 1962. He was struggling with coming into modern filmmaking and modern society. This is a guy who grew up chomping on cigars, and, and he infamously required his entire crews, you know, even when they were shooting Money Value, there were no hotels. They camped, and he—that was a requirement for him. Like you had to be out on set. Like that's where they slept, and they ate off campfires, and you know they drank whiskey, and that was that was him. And I, that didn't fit with the modern age. So in many ways, he is that character. And I see this movie as him struggling with transition, and um, you know, in many ways, like what well, Simon Hollywood's character, you know, the the Leonardo DiCaprio character in that. You know, does he does he have what it takes to transition into a new age? And uh, with Ford, it really, I don't think it was a question. He couldn't do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't count this as a representative. You got to go back to his earlier movies to see what he really was as as a filmmaker in his peak. Uh, and that said, I think our answer to this will be: But does it pass the Howard Hawks? His contemporary, Howard Hawks, who uh, you know made a few westerns himself. Uh, does it pass the Howard Hawks test?
1: No, I mean, we've already mentioned the terrible, terrible classroom scene. So that in (laughs) itself means it fails.
0: Now, would you think that what would you say? Are there any that would be my one bad scene in this? That's the only scene that I find to be bad. Would do you think that there are other bad scenes in this?
1: That scene is bad. Like it's it's I'm sorry, it's just a bad scene. Like, but it's the only bad scene in a movie.
0: But that does keep it out. You need to have three great scenes and no bad ones. And unfortunately, this movie does have a bad scene. So it does not
1: pass the Hard dogs test.
0: (laughs) Might be our our, is it our first to not pass
1: the test? No, 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 no. Come on. Color out of space.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. What am I thinking? Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I am glad you watched this. I was very curious about what you would think of this movie. Uh, I was picking it. It's one. It is a movie that I love. I do recommend it to Western fans because it is different. And if you are a person who can watch old westerns, then yes, I highly recommend this because I feel like it's 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 not a. It, it feels like a classic western, but it's not. Uh, it's a. It is a struggle and. You know, of a filmmaker's struggle, I should say. I don't find it a uh, struggle to watch at all. I really enjoy watching this movie if I skip over the classroom scene. Uh, I enjoy watching all the other parts of it. So yeah, I would say if you are a Western fan and, and you can, if you have a stomach for classic Westerns, which I do, I uh, actually have a, a craving for them a lot of the time, then, uh, then this is definitely a movie to watch. Anybody else, if you, basically your idea of a Western is, you know, unforgiven, is post-unforgiven, then uh, this may not be for you. <laughs> you may not get it. Um, yeah, with that, we should probably wrap things up. Um, Rick, where can we find you online?
1: You can find me over at Goombastomp.com, writing, podcasting, and I handle the official Twitter account for Goombastomp, which is Mag. and you can listen to this very podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, Google um, spotify there's a bunch of places and you can find it over on the website goombastomp.com
0: all right and uh you can find me online at sortedcinema.com i do not tweet very much at all but i would love for somebody to tweet at me and then i would definitely respond um i just don't think of all those clever little quips that everybody else seems to be able to do uh anyway also you can also find me over at goombastomp.com that should do it uh next week we'll be back with john carpenter's the fog we'll see you then mm <laughs>